Thank you, Steve. <clears throat> uh, Terry wanted me to share a couple of words of some things that are happening over at Christ Community. Uh, one of the big things that's happening at Christ Community is, uh, you, I, you might not have known this, but they don't normally give church buildings to church plants when they get started. I know that that's a mystery to you guys. Um, on my best days, I'm not bitter about that. Uh, this doesn't happen to be one of those, okay? Uh, but thankfully, the Lord has delivered unto us in these weird economic times a great building on South Florida. Uh, if you would have told me seven and a half years ago that we'd get a building uh, on South Florida, I would have told you you're crazy. It just wouldn't happen. Uh, so we're really excited about that. The, the building that we bought was originally built for $4.5 million, and we bought it for 900000 So we're really excited about that. Um, we're hoping to be in by the end of the year. I have a bet with my elders on when we'll get in, and so I'm working with our builder to help me win that bet. Of course, I'm picking the early date. Um, so be prayerful of that, uh, that God would deliver us into that. We feel that it's really going to position us well in the community uh, to have a more far-reaching effort of church planting, a more far-reaching effort of evangelism, and even mercy work. So be prayerful of that. God's been very kind to us over the last seven and a half years, and part of that kindness has been my relationship with your church, particularly with Drew and with Jonathan and some of the other guys, and uh, y'all have been a real support to us, and we want to say thank you. You actually gave uh, to our building fund. You might not even have known that, but your session found themselves to be generous one night and maybe felt sorry for us and gave some money towards that. So thank you. Thank you for your support. Keep praying for us. We're on the same team. We just happen to be in different areas of our county. So let's keep that in mind. Today, uh, we have a very interesting text before us. We're looking at the book of Proverbs. And uh, so we've set some foundational groundwork on what it means, what is wisdom, how does wisdom work, how do you attain wisdom, how do you get it. And now we're actually moving into more of a practical look at the book of Proverbs and some different major themes that the book brings out. And one of those is work. And what does work mean? And what does it mean to do it diligently and do it well? And so today we're going to be reading a couple of texts, I think, that are representative of what the book talks about when it uh, gives advice and uh, leadership in regards to our work. So I think the scriptures may be behind me. I'm not sure. But we're going to be reading out of Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. You're going to love it when I read it. And then we're going to read one verse out of chapter 16. So... Listen very closely to the words that I'm about to read. This is not simply advice from Solomon. This is God's word. Give it its full due. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there? O sluggard, when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Proverbs 16, verse 3. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but this word of our Lord shall stand forever. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for texts like this that are surprising to us. But Father, I am grateful that you give us texts like this to begin to consider um, what work is about. And so Father, I pray 
first off, that you will bring a real humility into this room. Father, that we may begin to open our hearts to hear from you. That, Father, when we find ourselves out of accord with your word today, that we will humble ourselves beneath it and pray for faith and for hope that we may be sons and daughters that display your love and your work ethic in this place you've called us to. So, Father, it is with that hope and with the hope that you would be glorified that we ask you to answer these prayers. In Christ we pray. Amen. All right. I know many of you, as I read that text, were like, phew, I get a week off. That Drew Bennett, he's been really hammering me with what wisdom is all about. And the reality is, is I'm far more foolish than I thought. There's a lot of foolishness roaming around in this heart. And Drew has been exposing my life to that. And part of it has been very painful for me. But today, I get a break. Because I am, if I'm anything, I'm not a sluggard. I'm very diligent in my work. I mean, we are Presbyterians, white collar in our ways, and very determined in our leadership. So, but hey, Lyle, I'm really glad. I'm very glad you're preaching this sermon today. Because I'm hoping for a pearl. Just, just a little pearl, maybe a nugget that I can walk away with and share with the lazy people in my life. Because they're driving me nuts. I got kids that are lazy about their schoolwork. I got a wife that's lazy about this. I got a husband that's lazy about this. Not to mention the people I'm managing at work. So just deliver the goods. Because I need something to take to them today, right? All right. Now before you get too far in the Rolodex in your mind of the people that need to hear this sermon today, I want to say this. Just sit with me for a little bit. Just sit here, humble yourself, Because I dare say that you're going to find yourself being sluggardly. What a great word, by the way. Sluggardly in some areas of your life. And we're all going to be caught undone, I think. Sit with me, though, and I'll prove my point. Now, Proverbs interacts with work on many different levels. But one of the things that it says over and over in dealing with work is to be diligent. Don't be a sluggard. Don't be a lazy person. And it begins to describe those people, by the way. Very well. These are lazy people that sleep all the time. These are people that aren't motivated to do very much in their life. They're people that make wild excuses. I think one of my favorite verses in Proverbs is about the sluggard who makes wild excuses and says, I can't come to work because there's a lion in my yard. Now, I think it's whimsical hyperbole, but as a community group leader, I've actually heard that excuse. Lyle, I can't make it to meeting tonight. There's a lion in my driveway. Not sure how it got there, right? And we slip into, I don't even want to go to those meetings. But there's all kinds of descriptions about lazy people that are passionless. Passionless living. Sleepy life is what when you begin to compile the different proverbs about work and sluggardliness, there's just a sleepiness to their life. Now, I think all of us need to go to the Scriptures, go to the ant, if you will, and, and observe how they work. But before I get there, I think there's some questions that we need to ask. What is your work? Have you asked yourself that in a while? Does your work only mean your career? Is that what the Bible presents as what your work is? Is it just what you do from 8 to 6 or 6.30 every day? 
Is that, is that all it is? That's a good question to ask yourself, and I'll answer that for you. What about this? Are you bored with your work? Is work a burden right now? If I were to say, think about your Monday with this overwhelming, come over your, your, your soul and your spirit because you're beginning to think about the work you've got to get done, would that describe you? Or would I can't wait to get to work tomorrow be the refrain from your soul? This thing called work is very interesting. I'll end the chain of questions with this. Why do you work? Is it just for cash? Cash is good. But is that, the, is that why you work? Is to get cash? Is that your rationale? Or, or is it maybe to, to garner some sense of self-esteem? Or value for yourself? That's why you go in and punch the clock? Alright. I've got to investigate this stuff. Uh, Tim Keller is a, is a preacher that's in uh, New York. I think you might be familiar with his work. He just wrote um, a book on God and work. And he defines work um, in very, you know, he's just very insightful. And I'm going to kind of wrap up what he says. He says this, this is what work is. Work is basically rearranging the raw materials that God has placed here on this earth so that the people around you flourish. And in the middle of rearranging the chaos so that the people around you flourish, you may or may not make cash. You may or may not garner self-esteem from your work. But here's what he says is powerful. If the reason that you're going after your work is for cash and for self-esteem, then your work will become boring. Your work will become a burden. And you will lose touch with whose kingdom you're building. Are you with me? So as we go through this together today... I want us to have a healthy view of what work is. And I want us to have a healthy understanding of all that it encompasses. So that we can be about the work that God has given us to do. Worth listening to? I hope so. Um, Before we get to Proverbs 6, which I know you're all interested in being called a sluggard today. But I will give you a reprieve for a little bit. Because the first point that I want to make in my argument is this, is that work is more than your career. Biblically, you cannot read the scriptures and come to the conclusion that your work, as it's defined in Proverbs or all over the Old and New Testament, cannot be held in the box of being just your career. Do you believe me? All right. I want to read from Colossians, um, starting in verse 17 of chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn. If not, it's not going to be back there, so... Maybe you should bring your Bibles. Colossians 3, it wasn't a jab, it was was, was practical advice. It says this, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now listen, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with a sincere heart, fearing the Lord. Now listen to 23. 
whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. What's the point that I'm making? Did you notice all the roles in there that were being mentioned in the context of do everything under the Lord? You had a work context in there, some masters and some slaves and some menial tasks and those kinds of things. Did you notice the other things it said in there? Wives, we won't talk about submission. Don't worry, I'm not going there. You can rest. Wives, husbands, dads, kids, employees, employers. It's all mentioned in the context there, right? And then what were the two verses that we read that I slowed down on? Everything you do, do it as unto the Lord. Well, whatever's on your plate, do it as unto the Lord. Here's the point I'm making. Everything in your life is your work. That mess that's on your plate right now, guess what? It is your work. All of your roles, you can begin naming them in your mind, is your work. It is what God has called you to do. It is for a time like this that he has placed you in that home and in that job and in that classroom. And said, this is the work I've given you. Be excellent. And here's what you don't realize. Your work matters. Every last inch of your day and every moment of your day, it matters. All of your work matters. Do you all read all those scriptures that talk about God provides, He protects, He guides? I mean, we've been reading all about those different things that God does. He's a dad to us. He's all of these things. Who does He use to make those things happen in the families here in Winter Haven? You. So whether you know it or not, when you're moving into all of those roles, into all of those places that you have been called to, that you have been uniquely gifted for, you're like God in disguise, distributing His gifts of goodness and of love and of direction and of provision and of guidance. He wants you to move into that mess that you call your life whether it be at the job or whether it be at the home, with all of your strength, with all of the giftedness, with all of the talent, that guess what? He gave you for a time like this to move into that with your broad shoulders, Dad, and give it some leadership. That's why I can look at my kid, who's 13, Terry, now you feel older, and I can tell, I say, Jack, your work is to be the best student you can up there. It's your work. It's what, you know, dad goes and does work. This is your work. Go do it with excellence. That's why I can watch my marvelous wife, whom I don't know how she does all that she does and how she gets all that energy to do all she does, and I can look in there and go, that's the work that she's been called to do to marvelously mold the character of my children in all the moments and all the car rides and all the soccer matches. She's amazing. It's her work beautiful to me. That's why I can look at the men in my congregation and I can say when you get home your work is not over. It's just changed to different kinds of work. But it's not over. 
We live in a culture today that overwork, diligence at work has become the ultimate organizing principle of the men's lives. So therefore, they walk around with this chip on their shoulder of, I've worked hard today, so I'm entitled to be a jerk when I get home. I'm entitled to take a break, babe. If you want to compare how hard the days were, I can beat you. I have a black belt in telling you how bad my job is. And I deserve a break. This overwork and this diligence. Now listen, it's a good thing. It's a good thing, all of you hardworking men and all of you hardworking women, it is a good thing that you're very diligent in your job and and the people around you are giving you accolades. Why? Because you deserve it and you're hardworking. That is a good thing. It's beautiful. And I'm glad they pay you lots of money. That's good. We can get some work done in this city because of that. That's good. But when that thing becomes the organizing principle of your life and how you make decisions and how you think about how to do things and how, what you get to check out of and what you get to check into, then it's become an idol. And when you've become so diligent in that area, let me tell you something, you've become a sluggard in other ones. And I want to tell you, all of your life is your work. All of your life are the roles and the places that God has said, I created you, I know what's inside you. I've gifted you and I've given you talent to go put your shoulder to the plow in that work you call your life. Do you believe me? I tell you what, when we forget to connect the dots between the small things of wiping babies' bottoms and the big things of house buying or who am I going to share my faith with today? And all those kinds of things. We forget to connect that, wor- that work, beautiful work, with the reality of it matters to God. It becomes a burdensome, boring, passionless existence, doesn't it? I know it's exhausting, isn't it? So my, my, my daughter, Mary Fran, whom I love, she's, she's the queen of one-liners. And so I drop my kids off at school. I enjoy that. I don't get out of the car to take them to class. That, that would ruin my day. But just dropping them off in the car line brightens my day. So my, my eldest daughter, Mary Fran, she says, Dad, I hope you have fun at work today. You know, if you make work fun, it's not work at all. Closes the door and takes off to school. Isn't that great, though? I mean, there's a sense in which she thought work could be fun, but also work can make her dad very, ugh. She was speaking into that. Wasn't that sweet? But when we forget to connect the dots that all of we do, all of those roles is work that God has designed for us, and listen, and gifted you uniquely for that mess. When we forget that, it becomes exhausting, and it becomes a burden, and... We become sluggards in all these other areas. Now do you agree with me that we're sluggards? I am eaten up with sluggardliness. I'll get to that in a minute. Now, Proverbs 6. So, okay, Proverbs 16.3, the reason I read that is committing your work to the Lord and he establishes your plans. That, that whole thing I just described, that's a committing of your work. Committing of your life, a practicing of the presence of Christ in all that you do, knowing 
that you're called to that. He, he made you for that. All right. Go to the ant, you slugger. Isn't that a great phrase? Before I get to observing the ant, I want to speak into the young culture that we have. I feel like there is a, and I'm only 41, but I, I, I'm beginning to be able to make statements about young people now, and it thrills me. You know, my dad's been doing this for years, and now I get a set of those boots to walk around in. It thrills me. Nonetheless, I feel like we have a culture of people that are coming up through middle school and high school and college that have no sense of purpose or calling. And, 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 and work or a calling to work has become something that's weird to even talk about. The, the visionless, passionless, just kind of a uh, existence, kind of like this. The biggest vision they have for their life is that they would make it between the hospital they were born in and the hospital that they die in, and in between there's just not much drama. If I can just have the weekends, a little bit of fishing, a little bit of golf, if you're me, you know, a decent marriage, my kids get a de- just, just no drama, and it'll be a good life. I just want to say this, that's sad. Because God has created us uniquely. God has taken time to craft each human being, and he's given them purpose. Not just to keep your head down gazing at this, but gazing up and going, there's a big plan of redemption that he's been working since the foundations of the earth. And the mystery of it all is that he calls big sinners into it like us. And he says, live with passion, live with calling. I call men out of nothing, and I place them into something. I've been doing it for ages, and I'm doing it for you. Live with a little passion, a little fire in your belly. Sometimes you don't even know what you've been called to do. Go on the search, go on the quest. And I will tell you, he's called you to something. Okay? I'm, getting, I'm done with that topic. That could be a whole sermon, right? Go to the ant, you sluggard. Uh, he's writing that and saying, I think you need to observe some things about the ant's life so that you can get, let it speak into how you think about work. So it says, go to the ant, you sluggard. And you begin to reading, he doesn't need what? Doesn't need a leader behind him. Doesn't need a chieftain behind him. Doesn't need a drill sergeant behind him to what? Tell him to work. Doesn't need any prodding. The ant's just working. She's working. Did you notice that in there? I like that. She's working. Doesn't need to be prodded. Doesn't need to say, hey, you might want to store up a little bit of bread today because there's winter coming. Don't even have to tell her that. She's on the ball. There's no procrastination about the plans that she's making. She's on top of it. It's almost intuitively coming out of the ant. That's the point. They're just working hard. And they're not like, ugh, about it. It's what they were made to do. Guess what? So are we. But if we're going to learn from the ant, I want to ask this. I'm going to jump in your living room. What are the things, and now that we've decided that all of our life is our work, all of our roles are our work, okay? What are the areas of your life that you're always having to be prodded? That you're always having to have somebody behind you saying, hey, Lyle, I need you to get after that. What are the areas in your life that you're passionless about and you would rather stay in bed and do nothing in order, instead of doing that work? All right, I'm going to let you into my heart a little bit. One of the top five moments of my life. Yeah, this is a big moment that I'm about to share with you. Top five. I've got four kids, right? 
So you're thinking, hey, this must be a pretty significant moment to make it in top five of Lyle's list, right? Was this. My son's old enough to cut the grass. I want to tell you what, when that kid turned 13 and I could get him behind a lawnmower, it was one of the most joyful days of my life because I hate lawn work. I don't like it, never have. I don't know what use it is other than not to make yourself an embarrassment to the neighbors. I hate it. Nobody drives by my lawn and goes, now that Caswell, that's what I'm shooting for. No. I'm a sluggard. I hate Fridays or thir- you know, Friday you're starting to think about, oh, I got to go do the yard. It's exhausting. It's a burden. But that's just trivial things, right? That we have to be prodded to do. Or there's some significant roles that we're always having to be prodded. We're always having to have Drew call us to come to his leadership meetings because he don't want to make it. We're have, the poor children's coordinator is always having to prod to get people to fill those glorious roles of taking care of kids because, oh, it's the handcuffs. Like it's that exciting in here. <laughs> that sense of passionless, no sense of vision that you're in there introducing children to Jesus. But we lose, we lose sight of that, don't we? And we, we have to be proud of, oh, I got to go to work. I got to manage those people. Or, oh, I've got to do laundry today. I got to go actually buy food so that my kids can eat. Uh, Right? And we have to be prodded. It's like the the cupboard has to be absolutely bare before you'll go because you hate it. What's in that heart? Have you ever looked in the mirror and asked yourself this? Where I am just lazy have to be prodded. I hate those jobs that I've been called to do, that work. What's in my heart? Why is that happening in there? Have you ever asked God that? Now, on the flip side, you understand what it means where you don't have to be prodded. You understand the energy that I'm talking about and the motivation that I'm talking about that no one has to whisper into your ear. you got to get up and do that. Last Sunday, when the kickoff time of the Georgia game was announced that we're playing Vandy and it's kicking off at 7.45 on Saturday, guess what I did? Hey, babe, I want you to wrap your head around something. Um, the dogs are kicking off at 7.45 next Saturday night, and so I, just, I need you to get me a couple things at the store because I want to have the right food for the event. There's a couple beverages I'd like for you to pick up because I want to have the right drinks you know, for, for, for the event. And there's a couple people I'm thinking about inviting over because I think it's going to be a pretty good game. I think we're going to have a really good time. Just get your head around that because nothing can get in the way of college football. And if you do, I'll turn on you, right? I'm not going to accept your call in the middle of the game. I'm not because I'm motivated, I'm passionate. Now, we killed them last night, but I'm just saying, you didn't have to prod me. You didn't have to tell me 745's coming up. My whole day was engineered around sitting on my blue couch to watch that game in perfect bliss. Do you have areas like that in your life? Do you see the disconnect? You got it in you. You got, you got passion. You got a sense of calling and desire that gets you at it. No one has to mention stuff to you 
There's some things about your job like that you love. My alarm never goes off on Sunday. Why? I don't need one on Sundays. There's parts of your job that you just love and you feel, okay, what's the disconnect between that kind of passion and motivation and that ugh about some of those roles? What's going on there? I'm going to leave that tension for a second. I want to go down to verses 9 and 10. I want to read them again. Because this refrain is actually used in uh, chapter 24. So it's representative of what what, uh, he's trying to tell us about our work. He says this, How long will you lie there, oh sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Now listen to 10. Little sleep, little slumber, little folding of the hands to rest. What happens? Then poverty comes on top of you. And I will tell you, it's not just talking about a financial poverty, though it is. But what, I'm, what I want to suggest to you today, that it's, it's talking about a soul poverty. Your heart's just going to shrivel up when you begin to look at work that way. It's exhausting to go through life that way. But the little sleep, little slumber, little folding of the hands, that cute little part of the poem it sounds like almost. This word for a little sleep is, sleep is actually plural in that in the Hebrew. It's talking about a lot of little sleeps. Sleep throughout the Proverbs is, is like this narcotic for the sluggard. It's like this thing that they love. And I'm not talking about the evils of sleeping. That's not where I'm going. Here's the point of the sleepiness, the little slumber. It's an escape. It, it, it's a little time away that I don't have to think about the mess. It, it's, it's a diversion that I don't have to get into that work that I've been called to do, that I'm not motivated to do, that I don't want to get up and do. I, I, I don't want to be prodded anymore. I don't want to do those roles. It, it's just a little bit of break from that. Now here's the money pitch. We are so passionless and feel so not called or purposeless in the jobs and the roles. We've become sluggard in all of those roles, and this is why. In our culture, I see it in my church, and I'm sure it's in this church, we spend some of our best brainstorming energy in our heads trying to figure out an escape. A narcotic just to get away from the mess. And listen, everybody needs a break. We all need vacations. We need to go fishing. We need to go hunting or golfing or whatever your soup du jour is. We all need that. But when you make it your savior to get out of the mess, when, when you moms are dreaming all day of just, I got to get away from these kids. They're driving me nuts. It is true. But if you're just surviving the day waiting for that to come, you've missed the point. Dads, if you're just surviving the job and surviving coming home to get to the weekend to watch a college football game or to play golf, if you're just surviving and not embracing those roles, you're missing the point for which you've been called. Listen, God has placed you and uniquely gifted you and given you strength not to escape from the mess, but to run straight forward into the mess of your life and all of those roles, the good ones, the bad ones, the ones you want to do and the ones you don't want to do. He's uniquely gifted you and positioned you to not run away from it. It's your mess. It's your life. And he said, I can't think of a better woman or a man or a student to get after that. Run into the mess. Scary proposition, isn't it? To stop living for the escape? You're telling me that I'm supposed to run into that thing? 
I don't want to. I ain't going to do it. My life's too hard. I, I don't have what it takes. Let me tell you, you don't. This is where the gospel begins to make sense to the human heart. We're all in that corner, in a puddle, going, I don't have what it takes to go into the mess. I only have what it takes to run away from the mess. But hey, I, I don't, I'm not, I, uh, you're right. You're never going to be able to commit your work to this level unto the Lord, Proverbs 16.3, until you begin to rest in the work that He's already accomplished. And when you begin to rest in the truth of the gospel that we talked about today, that your great Savior at great pain to Him, He said, what in John 4? I came to accomplish the work that God has given me to do my Father. And he didn't shriek when it got hard and when the fighting got the hottest. He began to be resolute in his own soul to say, this is the very reason that I have been sent. No one takes my, remember what he says? Nobody takes my life from me. I willingly lay it down. I've been called to run into the mess with the broad shoulders that my father has given to me to spread them out for our messes. Now listen, I want to sympathize with you. The work is hard. I read Genesis 2. And it says that work was given before the fall and everything was great. But then what happened after the fall? What does he tell Adam? Your work is cursed. It's going to be thorny. It's going to be difficult. Listen, I'm not telling you that it's not hard. Because it is. It's been cursed. It's fallen. It's awful at times. And it muddies how you think about it. It makes us fools in regard to our work because of these thorns and this sin and this fallenness. But listen, the thorns that cursed that work blessed the work of our Savior. When those thorns were pressed down into His head and He yelled out at the end, it is finished. The work, the most important work, he did not run, but he squarely finished it for us so that we can make sense of the work, so we can begin to pop our heads up every once in a while and go, I have a great Savior, and he has a plan for my life to connect me with a larger plan and work of redemption. So all of these little conversations that I have with my kids and my wife and all of these times I run to the market and all the times that I'm working late, matter to God because it's my work it's what he's given to me I'm not asking you to fight for balance between your career and your home I'm asking you to fight for excellence in all of your work and you can't do it without a deeply dependent walk with our Savior we're just too sinful we're just too prideful we're just too blind oh He not only gives you an example, but he lives within your heart to empower you for the work. Do you believe me? Man, I do. It's all I got is that hope. You know? And I can't stir my heart to passion. I can't stir my heart to that kind of motivation without him. Tony Robbins isn't going to do it. That joker is pretty popular. But he can't change my heart. Right? Siri can't change my heart she's good particularly the new update she can play in your life but she can't change your heart 
Only He can do it. So I'm about to pray for you and I'm about to pray for myself because I'm sure there are many ways that the net got cast and you said, I am found sluggardly. It could be some of you dads that are thinking about leading well or the work of leading your home spiritually or, or listen, making your wife flourish because you're championing her. Or some of you moms might go, man, I feel like so unmotivated and so passionless in my job as a mom, I don't see it as beautiful anymore. I don't see it as a calling anymore. I see it as a rat race, right? Some of you students who think that history is the worst thing that was ever created to go to, you just need to start asking them the questions. Why am I so passionless? Why do I feel so purposeless? And you need to run to him and say, heal my heart. Confess your sin to him. He knows who you are. We read it in Psalm 33. He sees everything you do. Remember that? Wasn't that cool? It's a great psalm. Acknowledge it to him and ask for healing of your soul that we may, okay? I really am closing. I know you're not supposed to say that and keep going, but I am this time. I just would hope that we would be a people that our souls would be so enraptured in the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we would get after the work in this church and in our homes and in our offices, that Winter Haven really could be transformed. That's worth hoping for. Let's pray. And as I pray, I'm going to give you a few minutes to respond. Not audibly, that could be weird. But in your hearts, respond to Him. Father, I think as I wrote this sermon this week, I think I just became burdened that life has become a burden. And I think my soul breaks when I begin thinking about the roles of my life that you've called me to add strength to, and I just look at it and go, that's a burden. I don't want to do it. I have no passion to do it. I have no desire to do it. And you're prodding. You're speaking. I can can feel you speaking. (laughs) And my desire level is still low. It really is. As I think about the roles of my life and loving of my wife and the loving of my kids and the loving of the people around me at my job and my, and my ministry roles. Um, I, I mean, Father, you know I didn't even want to go to community group this week. It was a burden to go. And I'm leading it, Father, and it just broke my heart. I can't fix it. I wish I could. But Father, I'm coming to you humbly and I'm coming to you with open hands and saying, heal my heart. I want to be a man that doesn't use all of his time dreaming of escaping, but I want to be a man that you would strengthen and empower to run as fast as I can with all that you've given me into the mess of my home, in the mess of my community group, in the mess of my job, in the mess of those people I'm managing at my job. With strength and with joy and with hope. Father, I just need you to pop my head up so that I may gaze and begin to remember again and again. You've called me to all of this. You've given it to me. You've entrusted it to me. 
And Father, I pray that I would find great delight in that. I pray that I would find hope in that. I would find joy in that. That you're not going to call me to something. You're not going to provide for me in that. But Father, I, I, I just I need you to I need you to save me from myself. And I pray not only for myself, but I know I pray for those who listen to my voice that have been exposed today. And I pray that we would realize and recognize that you are a soft place to come, that you are rich in mercy and you are rich in power to actually bring transformation to our souls. So, oh God, come work in our work that we would work for you. This we pray in Christ. Amen. Benediction is a time every week for you to hear a little bit of hope. Knowing the call is sure, he's calling, calling you to a pretty big mess this week. But the benediction is to give you hope as you go out of here. That God said, I designed it just for you. I, I got you. I'm not only going to call you to it, I'm going to empower you this week. I'm going to be with you this week. Depend, rest in my work, and get after your work. That's what the benediction does for us every week. So those of you who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, receive your benediction. May God himself, the God of peace, may he sanctify you through and through. May your whole body and soul and spirit be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. One who calls you, he's faithful, and he will do it. Go in peace.